I want to talk with you about a topic I title the 1322 challenge. You may be saying, what in the world is that? Well, open your Bibles to Proverbs 13, verse 22. And I want us to take some time to learn about what it means to get financially healthy. According to United States Financial Health Pulse 2019 Trends Report, approximately 29% of American households are financially healthy. What that means when you drill a little bit deeper is that only 29% of Americans are spending, saving, borrowing, and planning in a way to ensure long-term success. The Bible calls us to live financially healthy as a mark of true discipleship. And here's what Proverbs 13.22 says. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I want us to camp out there. Today is the beginning of a five-part teaching series titled the 1322 Challenge. That's the name of the series. That's the name of this sermon. I want to set your expectations. I want to make five promises to you. First, you will learn how to manage your money more effectively with no judgment, condemnation, or shame attached to it. Second, you will learn life-changing strategies on debt reduction and how to bounce back from financial setbacks. Third promise, you will not be asked to give a special gift beyond your normal tithe and offerings. Fourth, you will be challenged to make hard decisions in order to reach your financial goals. The fifth promise, you will learn how to build wealth, money that lasts for generations. So you can meet the 1322 challenge. These are the five promises that we're making to you. I want you to take a moment and close your eyes with me as we go through this little exercise. Imagine if your parents or grandparents left a sizable inheritance for you. Would your life be any different? Would you have avoided certain problems? Would you have started at a different rung on the ladder? Open your eyes now, please. And if the answer is yes, 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 then you have the chance now to do for your children and your children's children what was not done for you. Let's go back now to our foundation scripture. And let's reread it. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. When I read this verse, it's telling me that the 1322, it challenges me to master my money. That's what it's doing. Masters are the rulers. 
They're the decision makers. When you master your money, you rule money. Money doesn't rule you. Money will either become your master or your slave. Masters direct, slaves are directed. You got to be the master of your money. A friend of mine's a dog, dog trainer. Derek says that this woman had asked him, she said, I understand you're a dog trainer. I got this question, I need your help. She said, I have this dog. Every time I come home, the dog runs through the house to greet me, and after it greets me, it puts its front paw right on top of my foot and just rests it there for about five seconds. She says, every night it does that. She says, what does that mean? My friend said, it means the dog is reinforcing, I'm your boss. <laughs> could, could you imagine, for some of you, your wallet or your purse, it just sits right on top of your foot. And it's saying, I'm your boss. Let's look at verse 22 again. This time, from the contemporary English version of the Bible. It says, if you obey God, you will have something to leave your grandchildren. Now it's bringing this message in a whole nother perspective. It's as if God is saying, look, I am tying discipleship to financial responsibility. God is saying that the same way I function as your master and your servant of God is the same way money must be your slave, your servant, and you the master. So when I obey God, people can say, that guy's a servant of God. And so God's saying, look, the same way that you obey me, you listen to my commands, you follow my will, you do what I ask you to do, you do what my word tells you to do, is the same way your money must obey your commands. And so when your money obey your commands, then scripture says you'll be able to leave an inheritance for your children's children. Now some of you may say, well, I, I don't have any children. And since I don't have any children, I don't have any children's children. I get it. So... If that's not where you are in your family dynamics, then you should be able to leave. Look at the scripture this way. A wise person leaves an inheritance for the organizations that they value or the research interests that you appreciate. Maybe cancer research is something that you, 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 you just, it's important to you. Leave some money for that. You may have nieces and nephews. Leave some money towards them. Or leave it towards a value that you subscribe to. I have children. I don't have grandchildren of yet. My oldest daughter is married, but no children as of yet. And, and, and so I have set aside my wife and I. We met with our attorneys years ago. We set up our trust. And here's where the money is going to go. X number will go to this daughter. Y number. You know, the X the same amount. You know, to the other daughter. And then grandchildren will get this amount. But I also have this value that I can't shake. When God called me from engineering into ministry, he gave me an assignment to build a multiracial, multicultural church where everyone comes and they feel welcomed. When I pass, I have money set aside to give to men and women 
that want to do the same thing in their generation, build a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. I want my money to speak after I'm dead. Now, some of you say, well, I, I, you know, if you knew my kids, you wouldn't leave a dime to them. That's when I say, leave it to Christ church then. Now, that sounds a little self-serving. You're right, but I said it, and I stand behind it. But the idea of Scripture is that this, the Bible is telling us, look, you've got to be a master of your money. And so Jesus is helping us understand that this being a master of your money is tied to you understanding what it means to be ruled or serving God. God's our master. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is making it very plain. You can't serve God and money. Why? Because simultaneously you can't serve both. They're polar opposites of their interest. And so if you serve money, it makes you greedy. If you serve God, he makes you generous. Greedy, generous, polar opposites. Jesus said you can't serve two masters at the same time, God and money. Now, granted, money is not bad. I've never seen any wicked $50 bills just walk around with an attitude. I've never seen that because money doesn't, doesn't have morality. It's amoral. Money takes on the morality of the person who holds it. So you, as you subscribe to being good morally, then the money you have takes on your moral goodness. What Jesus is saying is that you can't serve God and serve money at the same time because money is going to drive you away from God. The loving money. Money is not bad. It's the love of money that will make you, and which is the root of all evil, that will drive you into badness. Now, since we have to learn... Uh, you got to be a servant of God and you can't serve money. It's easy to know if I'm serving God. You can tell if I'm serving God. You can tell by my character, by my reading the word, my desiring to align my life with the word, my, my praying to God. People can say, that gal, that's a woman of God. That guy, that's a man of God. They are a servant of the Lord. But how do you know if someone is, is a slave to money? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's some signs that you have as indicators. Common signs. My loyalty is divided. God and money. God over here, money over here. I tithe, and then, you know, since my loyalty is divided, I flip-flop. I buy a blouse instead of tithing. Flip-flop. I'm living beyond my means. So from behind the wheel of a luxury car, you drive to work and your favorite song is playing and you're singing it, I owe, I owe, off to work I go. That's a sign of a financial slave. Another sign is I'm a financial show-off. You see people on social media always counting money. What do you count money for? Or on reality TV, just lavish in their lifestyle. In 2009, you see the, you know, the airwaves were, we were introduced to, to Teresa and Joe Judice, the real housewives of New Jersey. Joe was 
presented to us as a successful construction businessman. And they live this lucrative lifestyle. You know, she's always going to a spa, Teresa that is, and getting mani and pedicures. And she, she, you know, she fitted out her, one of the rooms her, of her mansion with $120,000 of furniture. It's just this one single room. $1.7 million for the, for the house. 10,000 square foot mansion. You may say, Pastor, how do you know all that? Do you watch it? No, no, no. I read, I read about it. I read about it. I read about it. <laughs> But just a few short months later, they're filing bankruptcy, saying that they owe $10.98 million. And then in 2014, a few years after we were introduced to them, they are arrested for fraud and thrown into prison. I want you to see that being a financial show-off, it just means that you're a financial slave. Here's another sign. I have financial secrets. Married people, lean in a little bit. Listen to me. If your spouse doesn't know all your accounts and they don't have, they don't know about your shopping and then you're wearing this new stuff and then your spouse says, isn't that new? He said, no, 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 no. I got it in my closet. I just shopped in my closet. You haven't seen this before. It's in my closet. See, when you have these financial secrets, that's a sign you're a financial slave. Another sign is shopping is my therapy. What are you doing at the mall? Well, I'm just debriefing. I had a whole difficult work. No! Comfort buys doesn't bring comfort. It brings indebtedness and pain. So remember now, Jesus telling us, look, you can't serve God and money at the same time. You can't. What Jesus is teaching us is how to make sure we are mastering our money. To drive home the point, Jesus even gets a bit more forceful. He tells us in Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what? Now, this verse comes from the Sermon on the Mount, famous sermon of Jesus, where he listed the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit, or they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Man, I love that. Then I get to this verse. It's plagued me for years. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't like people to say, you know that man over there? He's very meek. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm not going to call a guy who maybe 6'8", 280 pounds, solid muscle. Man, you're very meek. Then I'll be picked up from the floor saying you're not too meek. <laughs> no, because, see, we're attaching 21st century definition to a first century word and it doesn't cohere. What Jesus meant and the meaning of the word meek in that first century was humble, but also highly responsive. The etymology of the word or the historical framework of that word meek was when one was taming a horse. So imagine this 1,200-pound stallion that is tamed. It is highly responsive to the movements that the master takes on the reins. And what Jesus was saying when he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, is that when you have brought yourself under the dominion of God, you are 
tame in the hands of the master as he moves the financial reins of your life, you are supple and highly responsive to God because you are meek to the Lord and you've allowed yourself to become tender and easily, easily and in a supple way responsive. Question, when it comes to your finances, are you meek to the master? And God is telling us, your finances must become meek to you because you are its master. So what we recognize is this, that 1322 challenges me to master my money. Let's go back to the verse again. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. What I see is 1322 challenges me to manage my money. There's no way I can leave an inheritance for my children's children or an organization if I don't manage my money. The Bible holds money management in high regard. The verse claims that a good person leaves an inheritance. And it's ascribing then true discipleship that is being a disciplined follower of Jesus is connected to how we also manage our money. How, how you manage money speaks a lot about your perspective, about your priorities, about your personal practices. And it's irresponsible to say, I don't have a lot of money, so there's nothing to manage. I know, it's easy to do that. Let me tell you what mismanagement sounds like. Mismanagement is when a person says, I deserve this luxury car. I work hard. I deserve to go to Aruba and spend money on the, on the, on the beach and enjoy the vacation because I work hard. And it's true that you work hard. But it's wrong to take that posture. Not only is it wrong theologically, it's wrong financially. You know what management of money would say? I deserve to be out of debt. I work hard. Yes. <laughs> what would happen if you took that posture? One bumper sticker read, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. In our cynical culture, we laugh as I have seeing it. But rather, we need to focus faithfulness. We need the focus. We need the faithfulness. We need the force. And we need the frugality that 1322 challenges me to have. So in order to manage my money, there's some things I have to do. One of which is establish a budget. Did you say budget? For some people, that's like, man, he just dropped... A B-bomb. He just used profanity. Budget. No. Proverbs 27 verse 23 says, You should take good care of your sheep and goats because wealth and honor don't last forever. You may say, what in the world do sheep and goats have to do with budgeting? See, Solomon in the first century, there's no banks, there's no... 401ks, you don't walk around, no tons of money in the Federal Reserves. People were 
agrarian. There was an agrarian society. There were herdsmen. There were farmers. And so the way that you would measure your wealth is to budget by knowing how many sheep you have, how many goats you have. You got to know the amount of sheep. And so that's budgeting. Budgeting is when you understand where you spend your money annually and monthly. That's budgeting. Another way you manage money is by knowing your income. How much money do you make? So why is that important? Because it tells you how much you can afford and how much you can spend and how to live within your means. And that's what it tells you. Know my credit report. That's the way you manage your money. What's your credit report? Because your credit report will give you access to certain interest rates that are lower if your credit report shows that you have a higher credit rating. And so if you need to buy a house, all of a sudden you, you are someone that's worthy of an investment that's not as risky. And so you get this benefit. And so you got to know your credit report. Many years ago, I paid my American Express bill. It came in during the month. And then next month, I get a bill that showed that I didn't pay the bill. I called American Express. And I said, what, what, what gives? And they said, are you the David Ireland on 38th Street? I said, yeah. At 38th? 38th Street? I said, no. They credited my money to some other David Ireland on another 38th Street, but a different front address. And so if I had not gotten this credit information, I would not have known. I would have been someone then having this negative impact. So in order to manage your money, you got to know where your money goes. Develop a savings plan. Let's put aside money systematically for emergencies, for the future. You'll be surprised. Mr. Pastor, you don't understand. I do understand. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if you invested $100 per month in the broader stock market in January 1970. Considering inflation, the average interest rates of the market, $100, that's equivalent to you buying a Starbucks cafe latte, $4.75 plus tax each workday, same thing. If you invested it in 2000, or rather 1970, that $100 per month would grow to over $180,000 all because that $100 growth experiences compound interest. Money makes more money, makes more money, makes more money, makes more money. Albert Einstein said, the strongest force in the universe is compound interest. All because of $100. Your Big Mac money. Your Whopper with fries. See, when we deal with 1322 challenging me to manage my money. To manage my money is not budgeting only. It's not just savings only. It's not just checking my reports. It also includes managing my expenses. I got to monitor where my money is spent, my debts, my debtors, those things. And you may say, Pastor, that's a lot of work. Can you afford not to? Just this past week, Kelly Ripa, the co-host of the show, the morning show, Live with Kelly and Ryan. She tells the whole world that her and her husband, Mark Consuelos, both of them pulling down millions of dollars every year in their respective careers as a couple, power couple. Kelly tells the world 
that she pulled the debit card from their daughter who was in college, the debit card from their daughter Lola, because Lola is a student at NYU. When they signed up Lola last year, when she entered NYU as a freshman, they put her in a meal plan, meal program. They gave her a debit card, use it for emergencies. And then when they checked the reports, Lola, she wasn't eating in the cafeteria. She was ordering salads for seven bucks, but that wasn't the, you know, the deal breaker. It was to have the salad delivered three blocks in New York City it was costing 25 bucks per salad. And so when, you know, when Kelly Ripper, she found out she was livid, she pulled it, shut down the debit card. And I know some of you are saying, but these folks, they are multi, 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 multi millionaires. Come on, give the little girl a break. No. It's irresponsible. Whether you make a lot of money or a little money, you still have to manage your money. You gotta manage your money. When my youngest daughter was five years old, my two daughters are adults now, but I remember Jessica getting her $5 allowance. And she said, Dad, can we go to Baskin Robbins? I said, sure. We jumped in the car, we drove to the Baskin Robbins, and we stood in line. The place was packed. It was summer. A lot of people in front of me, a lot of people behind us. And Jessica's five, but she knew how to read. She's looking at the, at the, the display and all the information, the pictures. And she said, Dad, I want that. And I said, sweetheart, look to the right of it. How much does it cost? She said it cost $5.41. I said, what are you going to do? You only have $5. She said, I'm going to get the 41 cents from you. I said, I, said I, 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 can't, I can't do that. Sweetheart, you, you, this, this is your money. You have to live within your means. You should have seen the stares I got from the people. Some people in front of me, they turned around. They looked at me. I was interpreting their stares. People in back of me looked at me. All kinds of bad things were being said about me with their eyes. I mean, if you ever watched cartoons, you know, the, the, the little cloud came above their heads. Asterisks and stars filled the clouds. All these expletives were being described. Some may have said, here's a buck, sweetheart. You're mean, dad. This is for me. <laughs> but the worst thing you could do is to bail her out because she would never learn the lesson 1322 challenges you to manage your money now if you're married I don't want you to argue on the way home <laughs> even if you have to turn on the radio even if you don't listen to sports you listen to sports don't argue on the way home. This series is to bring instruction, clarity, healthy perspective, not to tear things down. You got it? Amen. If you argue on the way home, my attorney says you've been duly advised. <laughs> but I want you to see that 1322, it challenges me to master my money. It challenges me to manage my money. But let's take another look at this verse. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. 
What I see emerging from this verse is this. 13.22 challenges me to make money. You may be saying, did he say make money? This is church, make money? Are we allowed to do that as Christians? Make money? I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, you, gotta, you can't leave an inheritance if you don't make money. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's almost looked at in a sacrilegious way by Christ followers if you talk about making money. I can't even talk to the saints about making money because they'll think I'm carnal. Pastor David's backslidden. It's, something's wrong with him. He's not very godly because he's talking about making money. No, you're supposed to make money. It's not taboo. There is morality and dignity with making money. You're doing it in a righteous way, in a legal way, in a God-honoring way. God has given you, as we see in Deuteronomy 8, He's given you the power to get wealth. He wants you to make money. Because the issue is that you have to think about not just your generation or yourself, but the next generation and the generation that follows that. So we see clearly from Scripture that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And some may argue, I can't think about the next generation. I'm barely making ends meet myself. The next generation need to think about themselves. That's pain talking. That's frustration talking. I want to give you another pop quiz. Rub your hands together. Pop quiz, pop quiz, pop quiz. Here's the pop quiz. What would happen if you invested just $100? Just $100. S&P 500 growth over time. Not $100 once a week, not $100 once a month, just $100 one time. Take $100 out of your purse, popped it in with a good financial advisor. They put it into S&P, growth over time. If you look at it, from 1926, January of 1926, that $100 would have gone through the Great Depression, World War II, Korean War, Cuban Missile Crisis, Vietnam War, Nixon resigned, 1987 crash. Some of you were around then. I felt it. You felt it. We all felt it. September 11, 9-11, tech boom, financial crisis, and all the way to December of 2019. It doesn't show 2019 there because these are five-year increments. But all the way to December of 2019, that $100 would have grown through all those difficult issues to get to $924,225 come December of 2019. Just $100. You have that. Your kids have that. See, what we're learning is this. If we're going to live the 1322 life, 1322 challenges me to make money. Referencing Albert Einstein again, he said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. The problem is that a lot of us, we look at making money as you need an episode, you need an incident, you need a big windfall. Proverbs 13.11 dispels that notion when it says, Wealth gained quickly will dwindle away, but the one who gathers it little by little will become rich. So it's, there's no one episode. There's no, man, a big windfall. I'm, I'm walking from Christ Church from the service. I'm walking to the parking lot to my car, and whoa, a bag of money right there. Look to my left, look to my right, 
and I look at the bag, it says Wells Fargo. It's not luck, it's stolen. You need to, <laughs> you say, my Lord, I'm happy God's blessed me. No. CNBC, they reported that lottery winners are more likely to declare bankruptcy within three to five years after their winning than the average American. Money that you get quickly goes quickly. I don't know if you've ever read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The rich dad was the educated dad, the PhD. And so a lot of people who are formally educated, as am I, never learned how to manage money through all the schools. I've been to a lot of schools, a lot of degrees. I had to read a whole lot of books as an adult to get a handle on money. The poor dad, rich dad was the guy who didn't have those degrees but understood money. I'm amazed at how you can just understand certain things instinctively if you really give yourself to it. And God confirms that. God says, look, you don't have formal training on how to manage money. Let me show you what to do. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 6. In fact, I'll throw the verse on the screen. God says, you lazy people. Now, don't get angry with that. Look beyond that. Look beyond that because you'll get insulted and not read the rest of it. You lazy people can learn by watching an anthill. Ants don't have leaders but they store food during harvest season. How long will you lie there doing nothing at all? When are you going to get up and stop sleeping? Sleep a little, doze a little, fold your hands and twiddle your thumbs. Suddenly everything's gone, as though it had been taken by an armed robber. I mean, could you imagine Solomon, this king, he's saying, look, let me show you how I learned how to manage money. I started looking at ants. He said, these ants have no leaders. Nobody's able to make a phone. March, go gather stuff. See, currency to ants is not money. Get food. No one's telling them. No one's barking out orders. There's no micromanagement. These ants instinctively are carrying food. And when you study ants, uh, I started studying ants, they can lift up to 50 times their body weight. Now, I don't speak ant, but I wonder what type of conversation would happen if I spoke ant. I mean, there's Freddy's. Carrying a piece of corn and a huge piece of candy, and he has a piece of chicken coming back from the church picnic, just storing things up for the coming winter. And he's walking, he, he runs into Harry, and Harry doesn't have any food. Harry has luggage. So they stopped. Harry's an ant that lives in the next colony. Harry, what, what are you doing, Harry? Harry said, man, I'm so tired. All summer I've been biting people at the, pic at the park at the picnic. I'm so tired. I, I got to go to vacation. I'm going to Aruba. So, so Fred says, can you afford to go to Aruba? What are you going to do for the winter? Oh, winter take care of itself. And well, you know, this is what, you know, this is what Harry's telling Fred. And then Harry jumps into his Uber and off he goes to the airport. And as he's going off, Fred says, what are you going to do in the winter? Harry yells out, out of the window, I, I, I start collecting pension. I'll, I'll, winter take care of itself. I'll be fine. 
Now, since I don't speak ant, I don't know if it would happen like that. Maybe you know if you speak ant. But, but what I do understand is that ants are so intentional and ants are so, you know, they're, they're, they're so deliberate that they're gathering during harvest time, which suggests to us theologically, while they're strong, while they're, they, they have all their faculties, which is akin to us while we're still young and robust and mentally alert and physically strong, we work. And when we are of age, when we may not have all of our strengths and have the capacity, we're then retired. But during our work life season and stint, which may go 40 years or 45 years or some 50 years, save up money, make money during those years so that you have something to leave behind. And so Scripture is telling us, look, if you don't have an MBA, don't get angry. Just go over and watch some ants. Your next door neighbor said, what in the world are you doing? I see you in your backyard every day, just sitting there with a chair, just look, what's going on? You said, I'm taking an MBA program. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm learning how to manage money. And so we're learning that, hey, the, the, the instinctive things that we can learn to do, diligence, faithfulness, systematic, it's not a windfall, it's not episodic, don't wait around to hit the lottery, it's not, you know, it's not in Atlantic City, it's not there, out there in the West, where is that place? How do you know Vegas is out there? How do you know? You, oh, that's another sermon. But I want you to understand, we have to then be able to say, I'm going to make money using my gifts so I can leave something behind. A year before his death, which was in 1790, Benjamin Franklin left a gift of a thousand pounds sterling, which is approximate to four thousand dollars, he left it to his two favorite cities, Boston, Philadelphia. But there were some stark stipulations with the money. He said, This money must be used for young business entrepreneurs that need to get a loan to start their business. I had someone give me or two people gave me, two benefactors gave me a loan to start my printing business. I want to do the same to someone else. The monies also should be used for public works to help roads and bridges in the respective cities to build infrastructure. Then he said the stipulation now has this with it. The first drawdown, because there can only be two drawdowns of this money, the first drawdown takes place 100 years after my death, 1890. The second drawdown takes place 200 years after my death, 1990. In fact, in 1991, when the monies were liquidated, the final amount, you know, collectively between Philadelphia and Boston, they, they had $7 million. Boston used much of that to provide loans for 7,000 medical students Benjamin Franklin instinctively accepted a 1322 challenge and 200 years after his death, his money is still impacting his values. What can you do to fulfill the 1322 challenge?
because it challenges me to master my money. It challenges me to manage my money. And it challenges me to make money. I leave that with you for your consideration.